Hello and welcome to the Strikeout Central Podcast. I am your host, Michael. This is episode number 14 of the podcast, and we've got a couple occasions going on right now. Number one, this is the first episode of 2021, and number two, spring training has begun. Pitchers and catchers are starting to report to camps all across baseball. In addition to the podcast, please follow the blog at www.strikeoutcentral.blogspot.com for daily baseball posts. Now, let's take a look at some of the major moves that have taken place since 2021 has started. January started off with a bang as the Mets and Indians struck a massive trade that sent Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco to the Mets for Ahmed Rosario in a package of prospects. Later in January, the Cardinals swung a big trade with the Yankee, with the Rockies, getting Nolan Arenado for a selection of prospects. The Nationals had a good January as well, signing Kyle Schwarber, Brad Hand, John Lester, and bringing back Ryan Zimmerman as well. The White Sox locked down the closer spot with Liam Hendricks on a four-year deal. The Astros made some bullpen moves, signing Pedro Baez and Ryan Stanek, and also bringing back Michael Brantley and Jason Castro. The Yankees also made some significant additions, bringing back DJ LeMayhew and signing Justin Wilson, Corey Kluber, and Darren O'Day, and trading for Pirates righty Jamison Tyone. The Philadelphia Phillies brought back their big stars in JT Real Muto and Didi Gregorius to keep their window open. The Padres kept getting better, getting Joe Musgrove, Mark Melanson, and Keone Kella, and just now agreeing to a massive extension with superstar shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr. The Red Sox started wheeling and dealing, bringing in Martin Perez, Garrett Richards, Kike Hernandez, Adam Adovino, Marwin Gonzalez, Hunter Renfro, Hiro Kazu Sawamura, Matt Andrizi, and trading Andrew Benintendi to the Royals as part of a three-team deal with the Mets, with Franchi Cordero being the main part of the return for Boston. The Blue Jays brought in some big names as well, adding Kirby Yates, George Springer, Steven Matz, and Marcus Semien to the fold, opening their playoff window a little more. Minnesota Twins fired things up as well, signing in Dalton Simmons, Jay Happ, Nelson Cruz, and Alex Colomay to book boost the team. The Rangers sent Elvis Anderson some prospects to the A's for Chris Davis and some prospects. So the last remnants of the team that made the World Series in the early 2010s for the Rangers, which was Andrews, is now gone. Trevor Bauer, the top free agent starting pitcher on the market, also signed a pretty lucrative deal with the Dodgers. And now here we are. All right, so now I'd like to welcome today's guest, uh, Danny Vietti of CBS Sports. How are you doing today? Doing good, Michael. Thanks for having me on. All right, thanks for uh, getting on. Uh, so at the time we are recording this right now, about half an hour, 45 minutes ago, news broke. Fernando Tatis agreed to a massive extension with the Padres, 14 years, at least $340 million. So before we jump into the rest of what I wanted to talk about, let's just get some initial early thoughts on this big extension. I'm just happy for San Diego fans, honestly, and Tatis. I've heard nothing but good things about the man that kid is and, and is becoming. Um, he's surrounded by a really tight, good family unit, unit excuse me. 
Um, and he's going to be set up for life now, him and his family. And San Diego fans have been through a lot over the past handful of decades. They haven't had much success there. They're going to have Fernando Tatis Jr. playing in a Padres uniform. Could be till 2030, was it 2014-year contract through 2035. I can't even think of my own age of when 2035 comes around, but that's, that's what we're dealing with. So I'm just really happy for San Diego fans and for Fernando in particular. Yeah, and he gets this after playing just 100. He's played 143 games in his career, which is absolutely insane. Like, he hasn't even played the equivalent of a 162 game season, which is just even more wild. That's pretty incredible. I mean, it, it would be impossible to say it's not a risk. It is a risk on the Padres' part. He's 22 years old. You mentioned he hasn't played 162 games yet. But if you watch the games, you know this kid's legit. Um, you look at his all of his analytics and numbers too, they make a case for itself. I mean, there's no denying the player this kid is and could be. He could wind up being the greatest player we ever see play. Uh, that very he he very mel, uh, very well could be that guy. And so in 2036 or 2035, whenever he um, you know is finally winding down in his career, we could be having those discussions. So you don't want to let a guy like that you know, um, pass over and, and not extend him. So the Padres were, were right to do that. All right. Yeah. So they've keeping on the Padres here. They've had, they've had a really, a really big winter. Like they've made pretty much every facet of their team significantly better this off season. They've traded for Snell, Darvish, Joe Musgrove in the starting rotation. They've signed, Mark Melanson and Keone Keller recently for the bullpen. Like, how soon till they win a World Series? Because they've made this just—they've made this team just so good. They're stacked, top to bottom, lineup, bullpen, starting rotation, um, in depth too. They don't have any weaknesses really. I think maybe their only weakness is just experience, and that's unfortunately something you can't buy on the market. That's something they're going to have to experience for themselves. And so the Dodgers, look, the paths of the World Series goes through Los Angeles. And until you knock off the Dodgers, you're not going to be a World Series champ because they're still top dogs. They added to their starting rotation with Trevor Bauer. They added to their bullpen with Canely. Uh, they're going to have uh, – they brought back Justin Turner. So it still runs through Los Angeles. But there's a little bit – I hate to call it a rivalry because it's not a rivalry yet because the Padres – frankly, haven't been competitive enough to call it a rivalry yet. But it's kind of a little brother, big brother type sibling rivalry, if you will, um, down there in Southern California that can make things very interesting. And we all know by now, in Major League Baseball playoffs, anything can happen. You might be the most talented team and you could get axed in the first round. So it's not always the most talented team. It's about the team that gets hot and the team that is most healthy. And if that winds up being the Padres and they have enough talent, they have enough, um, you know, they have enough of a squad right now to win a World Series. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, Padres, Dodgers, 19 times this year. Like, I'm going to be watching as many of those games as possible. Those are going to be some fun ones. It'll be fun. Last year's games were a lot of fun, too. There was a lot of tension. There was an incident between Tatis and I believe it was Austin Barnes. Um, it was incidental contact, but uh, it was, you know, it, nonetheless, it was it was a scene. And then there was a, a scene down the first baseline between Max Muncy, Jake Cronenworth. Did Max Muncy step on Cronenworth's foot? I don't know. So there was some tension already building. 
And with these teams going back and forth in the offseason, you got to think that's just going to continue to build. Oh, yeah. Um, so while we're on the topic of the star shortstop, um, we're going to go back, rewind a little bit to at the start of January when the Mets traded for Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco from the Indians. Obviously, the Mets did good. They landed a, a top-tier shortstop and so and a, and a rather good starting pitcher. But looking at the return, which was Ahmed Rosario and a package of prospects, like, what did the Indians do? The Indians are doing what the Indians have been doing for years now. They're not going to spend money on any player. It doesn't matter how good they are. Francisco Lindor has been a top five, top 10 major league baseball player ever since he stepped onto a major league diamond five years ago. And he has given the Indians every reason to pay him. The Indians will not do it. And I don't agree with the strategy. Nonetheless, if you're going to take that strategy, you need to get something in return. And they got Jimenez who could be a solid player in the infield. Um, he was a highly touted prospect within the Mets system before he came up to the big leagues. Ahmed Rosario has not shown to be an accomplished big leaguer. He has struggled in the field. His hitting has been subpar so far. And then there are two prospects they got back. They got the number nine and the number 10 prospects, not Major League Baseball, but the number nine and 10 prospects in the Mets organization. That to me is not enough. If you're going to trade away a top five, top 10 Major League Baseball player, you damn sure better be getting a top prospect in return. They did not do that. And I hate to just bag on Cleveland because they're probably going to be competitive this year that they have a very, very good farm system. They always do. They find starting pitchers out of a barrel. It seems like every single year and end up becoming Cy Young candidates. So they're like, they're going to be talented at the same time. I don't love the way that they run their business. And unfortunately, major league baseball and a lot of those teams like Cleveland, Tampa Bay, Oakland, they're being rewarded with running their business a certain way. And I personally think it's bad for the game. Yeah, I guess while we're on that topic, I guess I can also ask the same question about Nolan Arenado and going to the Cardinals because he, from all angles, looked like he was really undersold by the Rockies. You said it. Um, Adam Gomber, who is a solid arm, never going to be likely an, an ace. He's not expected to be any type of ace. Um, he, did really well with St. Louis last year. He made a few spot starts. He pitched in relief a lot too, and he did really well. But again, you're trading at Nolan Arenado is a multi-time platinum glove winner, gold glove winner. It was an eight-time all-star, I think he is now, and he's only played like what, eight seasons. So he's been an all-star essentially every, every season he's um, played the game of baseball. He's one of the best players in baseball, and yet they got back Adam Gomber and two low-level prospects. Same story, different trade. You got to get more. And unfortunately, it's not as if the Cardinals are making all this money and, and can afford 10 Nolan Arnautos. The Rockies could have afforded Arnauto, and that's why they gave him the extension. They changed gears because they didn't believe that they could rebuild and afford Arnauto. Whether that's true or not, you got to get more in return. And I don't understand the, the business of baseball right now. I'm getting very, very confused on these return packages. Is I refuse to believe that trading a top 10 major league baseball player does not deserve a top 10 or a top 50 prospect in baseball. I refuse to believe that you don't deserve something like that in return. Oh yeah, no. And that's, 
I feel like it's been happening more and more lately, just just because of, I, I don't want to contribute it solely to the pandemic, but maybe that has a bit of a factor to it. And maybe I'm just a naive writer, naive baseball fan. Maybe I don't really understand the true market that is Major League Baseball. But what I've seen over the years and in my experiences, you should be able to get more in return for a guy. Because it shouldn't be all about money. It shouldn't. It, it, money is a, a big part of it, but you shouldn't be trading a guy. You know exactly what you're going to get out of Nolan Arnauto. You know exactly what you're going to get out of Francisco Lindor for the next five seasons. You're going to get a, a platinum Glover and you're going to get an all-star bat. You're trading for these prospects. You have no idea what they're going to be. So if you're going to acquire prospects, you better be darn sure that it's a high level prospect that has elite potential. They aren't getting that. They're getting guys that are stabs in the dark. If they work out, awesome. But the risk factor is out of the, I mean, it's through the roof. Yeah. And staying with the, sticking with the Cardinals here, before they traded for Arenado, like the trade for Arenado was basically the most notable thing to happen in the NL Central kind of all winter. And obviously that's for good reason because Arenado is a very, very good baseball player, but also because the NL Central really as a whole didn't really do much of anything all winter. So, I mean, how much does this help the Cardinals case to win the NL Central? Oh, they're in my eyes, um, head and shoulders above the next team, which would probably be the Cubs and Brewers. Pittsburgh's an absolute dumpster fire and have been for the last couple of years. Um, the Cubs lost a lot. They, they lost John Lester. They lost Kyle Schwarber. They brought in Jock Peterson to fill Schwarber's spot, but I would argue that Schwarber is a better overall hitter. You have Chris Bryant, who's coming off of a very disappointing last couple seasons. And Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, and Anthony Rizzo all going to be free agents at the end of the season. William or, uh, Wilson Contreras is going to be a free agent after the 2022 season. So a lot of question marks when it comes to Chicago. Whereas St. Louis, they're going to have control of Goldschmidt and Arenado. And then they have a kid uh, named Nolan Gorman, who I think is going to be a really good player once he comes up through the system. So St. Louis, they're a very well-run organization. They need some help out in that outfield. They shipped out Dexter Fowler, which creates another hole in their outfield. Uh, Harrison Bader, uh, O'Neal. I mean, they have some guys to plug out there, but th there's some question marks for sure. But with that, like you mentioned, in the NL Central, it's not, there's, there's no one running away in that race. I mean, I made the case the other day that the Arizona Diamondbacks could finish fourth place in the NL West, but they could go out and win the NL Central. That's how competitive the NL West is as compared to the NL Central. Yeah. And um, yeah, the NL West, I mean, that's definitely, you get the two, the Padres and the Dodgers, the Diamondbacks. We don't really know really what they're going to do this season. And you've still got the Giants who, who have made some smart moves. The Giants have made some smart moves. So this, I mean, this puts them in a good position though to oh, yeah. this, especially oh, yeah. with the murderers row kind of, that is the NLS. Yeah. I failed to mention the Giants when I mentioned that the Diamondbacks could compete for the NL central because the Giants could certainly be one of those teams as well. The Giants are set up for a whole lot of success after this year. And I like the signing of Tommy Lestella to his three-year deal because they're going to have him for a couple more years after this. So they're going to have a couple club options on a couple players. So Johnny Cueto, they're going to have a club option. Buster Posey, they're going to have a club option. Let's say hypothetically, they decline all of their player options 
after this year. And then they, you add in their free agents after this year too. They're going to free up over a hundred million dollars in, in money uh, to spend. And they can use that hundred million dollars to spend wherever they want it. And those, these are veteran guys too, Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford, uh, Buster Posey, Johnny Cueto. These are older veteran guys that Farhan Zaidi was you know, given when he took over as general manager and president of baseball operations. This is what he was given. Now he's going to have the financial flexibility to create a real roster that he wants to construct. He hasn't had the, that option yet. When he came in, he, has, he inherited a team that had a lot of success, but was probably on the downhill of that success. Now he's going to have the opportunity to sign some younger guys. They, they were in on the Bryce Harper talks a couple of years ago. They were in reportedly on Trevor Bauer this year at times. They've been in on top free agents, but they just, they're not quite there yet. And after this year, that's their window that they can really sign some guys and get back to competing at an elite level. All right. Well, um, speaking of uh, financial flexibility and roster flexibility, um, late in January, the Red Sox and the Yankees actually made a trade. Like they made a trade together. Adam Ottavino and Frank German went to Boston for money or a player to be named later. Like, it screams salary dump. Like, let's just talk a little bit about the Red Sox and Yankees actually making a trade. Because last time they did it was seven years ago in 2014. Right. And before that, it was back in the 19, I think it was 1997 or something like that. Uh, so, yeah, it's definitely been a while. And it's so interesting what the New York Yankees are doing because this whole luxury tax thing, the Dodgers said, screw it. We're paying the luxury tax. We don't care. We're bringing back Turner. We're getting Bauer, which I respect the hell out of the Yankees. They're not, it appears they're not even wanting to bring back Brett Gardner because they don't want to float over that luxury tax. They got rid of Adam Adovino because they didn't want to go over the luxury tax. So you're looking at the, you know, the most, highest revenue team in the New York Yankees and has been ever since they were established back in the 1800s or whenever it was. Um, they're not wanting to go over the luxury tax, even though they have plenty of money. So it's interesting. We were talking with uh, Pete Abraham of the Boston Globe the other day, and he said he's never seen the Yankees operate like they are right now. In years past, Brett Gardner, they would have brought him back at, at the, you know, right away because he's a Yankee. He's been a Yankees his entire career. He's still producing and um, he's a good leader in that clubhouse too. Nowadays with analytics and, and everything else, there's just, it gives clubhouses different um, reasons for pause. And Brett Gardner, unfortunately, who knows where he's going to be playing in 2021 now. Yeah, absolutely. And the Yankees, keeping on track with the Yankees here, they replaced Jay Happ, Masahiro Tanaka, and James Paxton in the rotation with Corey Kluber and Jamison Tyone. Obviously, guys like Kluber and Tyone can be good when healthy, but also they're at risk for injury. Kluber only pitched one inning in 2020. Tyone didn't pitch at all. He was recovering from Tommy John surgery, but like, they're a fallback plan if one or both of them get injured again. And Domingo Herman was uh, recently seen putting some cryptic things on his Instagram too. And not that they were relying on Domingo Herman to be an, you know, an ace or a guy that's going to take a start every fifth day, but he was another option for him. So there's a lot of question marks. Debbie Garcia, six career starts could be a really good player, but doesn't really have the experience yet. Jordan Montgomery, Tommy John a couple of years ago. So 
basically everybody in that rotation but Garrett Cole has a question mark attached to them. That's the way the Yankees wanted to operate, apparently. It's certainly risky in my mind, especially when you have a lineup that has question marks health-wise. Aaron Judge hasn't been healthy his entire career. Gary Sanchez, who knows the player he is going to be after his struggles after the last couple seasons. Giancarlo's been injured. Um, there's a lot of question marks. And when you build your rotate, I didn't love it because when you have a lineup that's as fragile as it is, you want to have a rotation that's going to at least uphold throughout a 162 game season. And I, I'm rooting for guys like Kluber and guys like Jameson Tyone, because I love their stories they are really good dudes. They work their tails off, but they come with question marks and that team, the New York Yankees, it's going to come with a question mark in a highly competitive American league East. Yeah. And we'll uh, keep talking about question marks a little bit with uh, my, my team, the Boston Red Sox, who last year were not very good. They were not. And this, this off season, they, they, they made some moves, although they were, they were kind of under the radar, boost the team depth moves. They, they brought in Kike Hernandez, Marwin Gonzalez, Martin Perez and Garrett Richards among the guys for the rotation. They just finished, finalized the deal with Rokazu Sawamura from Japan. And these moves, they aren't, they're not flashy. They're not big, but, like they make the team better. Like the, are they an 80 win team this season? They're not, but they're going to be competitive. They're going to be, I compare the Boston Red Sox to the San Francisco giants a lot. The Red Sox had a lot of success in the 2010s with their world series in 2013. And in 2018, the giants had theirs in 2010, 2012, 2014. And then after that came to decline for the giants for the Red Sox, it was the same deal. They signed a lot of guys who spent a lot of money. Dembrowski gave out a lot of money. And so now they're, you know, you reap the benefits of having young players play at an elite level at a cheap level. And now you pay them. And now, unfortunately, um, you have to meet that demise. So they're set up for success later down the road. Are they going to win 80, 90 games this year? I don't think there's a chance of that happening just because I don't think they're willing to spend to get, players that would push them over the top, but they're going to be competitive. Like San Francisco last year, they were competing for that final wild card spot much of the season. They fell short of that the year before in 2019, they were competing for a wild card spot about three fourths down the season. So I think the Red Sox are actually going to surprise some people as the signings of, you know, Garrett Richards, he comes with injury concerns, but is a really good arm. Kike gives them depth. Cordero, if he can stay healthy, that people really like his, um, is the tools that kid brings. So, I think they're going to surprise some people, some people, but with the Blue Jays making the moves that they did, uh, the Rays are going to be the Rays. The Yankees are going to be the Yankees. It's a very tough division, but I think they could surprise some people. And in the very least they could play spoiler and maybe knock the Yankees out, you know, not down a seed or maybe even if they're lucky enough out of the playoffs, who knows? Oh yeah. It's always great to, it's always great to potentially ruin things for the Yankees. Um, but now, now we'll talk about the Blue Jays. You just mentioned they did have a big offseason. George Springer, the big center fielder, Kirby Yates in the bullpen, Marcus Semyon, among other moves. Like they they've improved, but is is the is the lack of pitching that is that what could be their downfall almost? It is. It's a concern. And Will Middlebrooks, my co-host, he actually brought up a really good point. The American League East has a lot of really good right-handed hitters, you know, Judge, Sanchez, um, you go down to Tampa Bay and you have a lot of, you know, um, 
or a Rosarina. There's some really good right-handed hitters in that division. The Blue Jays are very left-handed dominant when you're talking about their pitching rotation. Ryu, they brought back Robbie Ray. They're going to put a lot of pressure on. I don't think they want to put this much pressure because he's so young, but Pearson, um, he's going to have a lot of pressure to log some innings this year. And he's coming back from an injury himself. Uh, it was already a strange 2020. He also endured an injury. An injury. So I don't think they want to put 200 plus innings on, on this young star right-hander who's their top prospect in the system. But if they want to make a push, they will likely have to, or they could look to the trade market and kind of see what happens down the road. But um, really love what Toronto did. I mean, they, their lineup is absolutely stacked. Uh, they bolstered their bullpen. They lost Ken Giles, but he was injured last year anyways. Um, they're ahead of schedule, if you ask me. I mean, I if you would have told me they would have made the playoffs last year when you know their young players are yet to be established. Uh, Vladdy G is looking really, really good in his workouts, by the way. Um, if you had told me they had made the playoffs last year, I would have said, you're crazy. You're, you're too early, but they did. They made the playoffs, got a little bit of experience. And I think that was huge for some of those young players. Oh yeah. And um, talking about, we talked about how the AL East is going to be a tight race this year. And we'll go to another tight race division, the NL East, the Braves, like this is a good division. Like the Braves are still the Braves. They brought back Marcelo Zuna. They, they're still a formidable team. The Mets have had a really good offseason. Um, the Phillies brought back the guys they needed to, JT Romuto and Didi Gregorius. The Nationals had kind of a sneaky good offseason. They got Josh Bell, Brad Hand, and Kyle Schwarber. Like, are. With all these moves in mind, do you think the Braves are still the favorites to win the division or do the Mets or potentially even Washington or Philadelphia give, give them more of a run for their money than previous years? I've been a believer in the Mets for the past two, three years, unfortunately, and I've been wrong about the Mets the last two, three years. So for no reason other than I'm stubborn, I'm going to stick with the Mets. Um, I, and I've slept on the Braves the last couple of years too, because am I idiotic? I don't know. Am I naive? I don't know. But, and, and the Braves are fantastic. I'm a huge fan of Acuna, Freeman. Um, you know, they, what they did by bringing back Ozuna too. Uh, they have a hole at third base, which I don't love, um, but they're going to be a really highly competitive team. They brought Charlie Morton over, Drew Smiley. So the rotation got a lot better too. When I look at the Mets though, I look at, a team that has so much talent and untapped talent, they just needed a culture change. And I think with this new ownership, they got that. And they're going to have Syndergaard coming off injury, um, hopefully coming back from injury. Um, their bullpen stacked. They just haven't really been able to put it together. Their bullpen's been stacked for three straight years that they could just put it together. And I think, again, that's culture. It's having a team leader. Um, it's just really timing wise having it all come together so i've been a fan of the mets for the past few years and i'm kind of sticking to it for 2021 all right yeah um so moving away sort of from off-season moves uh, we're going to go to sort of the 2021 baseball season obviously at the time of that we're recording this it was the first day of spring training pitchers and catchers finally reported after what felt like a very long off-season um, and I believe for the 2021 season, we are getting a runner on second base to start extra innings like they did in 2020. And I believe we're also having seven inning doubleheaders once again this year. 
and there's no expanded playoffs yet. There's no universal DH. So I just wanted to get sort of your thoughts on which on, on basically these, these playing conditions and plans for this season. Uh, yeah, you basically what you just mentioned, that's about all, all that we know. Um, I've, everybody I've talked to and myself included believe there's going to be a universal DH. I've talked with Ken Rosenthal. I've talked with, we talked with Pete Abraham this week. I mean, everyone within the game and outside the game believe there's going to be a universal DH, but nothing has happened so far. You have two sides. I mentioned I was stubborn. Welcome to baseball. You have two sides that are very, very stubborn. The players union, and then you have the owners very, very stubborn. One side's got to agree to do the expanded playoff. The other side's got to agree the, to do the universal DH. I think eventually that does come to fruition when that happens, hopefully soon, because there's a lot of players out there that still are unsigned that could fit those roles. Edwin Encarnacion, Yasiel Puig. Those are two significant DH options. Um, and if there's 15 more jobs available, if you had that expanded, or I'm sorry, not expanded playoff, the universal DH, that's 15 more jobs that you're opening up. So I'm... <laughs> I'm still keeping my hope that there will be universal DH because I think it's better for the game, but who knows at this point, I mean, we got a month and a half till opening day. So they have about, you know, 40 days, 45 days until opening day to figure it out. Yeah. And you would hope that if it doesn't happen this season, that they would hopefully add it when they go to renegotiate CBA that expires after the season. Because I'd, like you, I'm also a big fan of the universal DH. I think it's, I think it's great. Yeah, it's with the CBA coming up. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of tension in Major League Baseball too, just because I think everybody sees it in that rearview mirror, approaching, approaching, and I don't think anybody wants to see it in that rearview mirror. Um, but it's coming, and so I think people are that, with that CBA. I think people are trying to uh, ignore it, put it on the back burner, and just worry about this 2021 season because of COVID, all the protocols that they're going through, whether they're going to have fans in the stands, they have enough they have enough on their table to worry about before they worry about that CBA. All right. Uh, so we're going to wrap it up uh, real quick. Um, right before I let you go, uh, what do you think the world series is going to be this year? What's the prediction? I've had this pinned on my profile for nearly two, two years now. So I got Padres in the white Sox in my world series. I'm not going to pick a winner yet because if, I even get those two right. I'll consider myself very, very lucky. So I'm going Padres, White Sox, and we'll kind of see how it pans out. All right, guys. We got Padres, White Sox as the World Series prediction. All right. Uh, so that is going to do it for our episode this time. Joined by Danny Vietti of CBS Sports. Thank you for coming on and talking baseball today. Anytime, Michael. Take care, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this special episode of the Strikeout Central podcast with Danny Vietti of CBS Sports. Be sure to follow Danny on Twitter at Danny Vietti for the latest news on his baseball podcast, the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast, and pretty much anything baseball related. If you would like to read about baseball news by the day as it happens, check out the Strikeout Central website at www.strikeoutcentral.blogspot.com for daily baseball posts. Stay tuned for episode 15 coming soon. I'm your host, Michael. Have a good day and happy baseball season.